Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi and welcome to Series 5, Episode 21. Today I speak with Anthony who is a primary geography specialist. We had a great chat and I hope you enjoy listening. Good morning, welcome to Page to Practice and this morning I am talking to Anthony. Can you maybe introduce yourself please? Hi everybody, great to meet you. Um, I'm Anthony Barlow and I work at the University of Roehampton. Lovely and what's the phrase from page to practice mean to you? It's a really tricky one because um, I think it's really about application, how we apply what we read, how we take what we read and then put that into our own context. And I want to talk quite a lot about contextual learning, I think, today. It's it's how we put um, research, how we put theories into practice. That's that's really what what I would say. That's great. Thanks. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. So in this middle body of uh, the conversation today, we're going to go into a, a few things. But before we really go into it, when you signed up to come onto the podcast, uh, you told me something about your favourite edu book. And you listed two because you said something first and then you said, actually, I've got a less flippant answer to that. So you told me that your favourite book was an ordnance survey map. Could you give us a bit more information about why you said that? Maps are so key to geographers, so important to geographers. And um, we often talk, don't we, about knowledge organisers. And there's no better way to knowledge organise the world than through a map. But of course, it's only a, a very partial view of the world. It's a selected view. It's a, it's a human view of the world. It misses out lots of things. It misses out lots of things that are here today and gone tomorrow, things that live, things that die, things that travel through. So yeah, it, 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 it's a map really that, uh, and particularly an Ordnance Survey map, because we're so lucky in in England and Scotland and Wales to have the Ordnance Survey as people who for centuries now have recorded what our landscapes have been like, how they've changed and how they've developed. And there's people today who'll be out there surveying, seeing who's put a shed here, who's changed that particular river course there, who's spoiled or destroyed something in another landscape so yeah it's it, it, it's a really important thing whenever we're starting thinking about teaching about locations to find some sort of representation of it and then start to play with that start to question it start to have some perspective on whether this is a full um, or ever can be a full view of what's actually there a really different answer to uh to where we usually start so that's great and and then you 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 then said in the in your answer, oh, well, I'll give you a less flippant answer as well. What about the Geography Association Primary Journal? So why did you pick that? Well, I think what I didn't do when I introduced myself at the beginning was said that subject associations are really important to 
who I am and what I perhaps represent. I work at a university, but I'm a member of the early years and primary phase committee. And there's various committees and special interest groups of the Geographical Association. And one of those groups produces the primary geography journal. So it comes out three times a year. And as somebody who's read this for well over a decade, as somebody who sometimes contributes towards this, and I know some of the people who contribute towards it, as well as new classroom teachers, I think it's a really good distillation of where best practice is at the moment in early years and primary geography. So naturally, as a trustee of the Geographical Association and with some of the other things that I do for the GA, I think it's a really great full colour from the classroom, from practice to the page, almost the opposite to what the podcast (laughs) is called, really. It's a really good place to just get that kind of temperature of what's going on in other people's classrooms because you know what it's like when we teach in our primary classrooms sometimes it's just us and the children and it's us all week and sometimes you just need to break away from that and I think it's from journals from conferences from things that the GA does that I started to do that and that certainly led me to my my job today. That's great. And subject associations have come up a few times on this podcast now. I spoke to someone the other week and we spoke a little bit about the Association for Language Learning. And before that, I spoke to a couple of history teachers about the History Association. So, you know, I'm fully, fully on board with how important subject associations are. So something you mentioned when you signed up is and I've written a very rough note here, so I'm hoping you'll be able to put a little more context to this, uh, about five basic questions and the use they have in the classroom. So could you demystify that for everybody who's relying on my rubbish note making? Yeah, so the kind of meat of what I want to talk about really is the idea of inquiry. And um, certainly, like I said, whenever we're starting to plan a unit of learning in geography, we need to start to think about um, how can we make some sense of it. So starting off with a map is a really good place. But Michael Storm in 1989 in that primary geographer, primary geography journal said that there were really five ways that we could start off by thinking about what the world is like. Um, so even if you just are listening to this podcast now, looking through a window or maybe on a journey, just, just ask these questions to yourself and then you're a geographer. You're starting to question, you're starting to ask about the world. So these questions are, number one, what is the place like? What is it like? Second question is, why is this place like it is? The third one is, how is this place connected to other places? And again, usually if I was working with student teachers, I'd be pausing and I'd be getting them to actually doing some thinking. So why is it like it is? Why is this place like it is? Um, How is this place connected to other places? How is this place changing? And then the kind of affective domain bit. How would it feel to live in this place? Um, What does it feel to be in this place? So there is that kind of human emotional interaction with this because you could be sat on a bus, you could be sat on a train, you could be walking through the park and and, and you will feel a certain thing. But of course, if you were somebody who had a disability, you might feel something different. If you were older, if you were younger, you might feel different. So it's all that kind of domain as well. And then Along with those five questions, um, other people have added questions to that, Um, that kind of key aspect of locational knowledge, knowing where's where in Ofsted's phrase, Um, making sure that you know where you are when you're thinking about these questions. Um, And and then that important of contrast, how is this location, how is this place different to other places or similar? We shouldn't always start off by the kind of sense of difference. 
So why have you brought this along today? What is it you want to share about this? How do you think it's useful for anyone who's listening? Well, I think the first thing is it's a starting point. It's a starting point for saying, right, I'm teaching about Kenya, I'm teaching about the Antarctic, I'm teaching about Russia, a small town in Russia, a lake in Russia. I'm starting to teach about these things. So I need to start to question the sources and resources that I'm going to be using. And those could be maps, those could be images, those could be videos, those could be stories of individuals there. Those could be children's storybooks as well. And what Claire Brooks um, uh author, a writer in the geography world says that we need to help teachers develop what what she calls the synoptic capacity. I love that phrase, the synoptic capacity of the teachers. And she talks about this in an article in the um, journal International Research in Geographical and Environmental Education. And she says that the synoptic capacity of teachers um, is made up of really three, three different things. There's the kind of knowledge bit the content, the substantive knowledge that we know is so important and has been pushed rightly over the last few years. We need to know stuff. So that's one part of the synoptic capacity. The The second thing really is how this is geography, how this becomes an understanding of what the story is of the world. So how this forms part of what this discipline actually is. And then the third bit of this synoptic capacity is then how teachers can actually teach it, how teachers can actually build up a repertoire of ways to get this across. And one of the ways that I would argue is that inquiry-based learning, inquiry-focused learning, learning which is about questions and questioning and criticality of the world, even if that is about that tree, about that bush, about that bollard, um, that criticality of what and why and where and when and how, those sorts of things are really important to geographers teaching three, four and five-year-olds as well as 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And certainly another kind of pair of writers that I'm really taken with, uh, somebody called Danny Dorling um, and Benjamin Lee, um, they write about inquiry learning and they say that really all geographers are fascinated and curious and that's in the first line of the national curriculum which is really helpful so there's lots and lots of questions and we almost never run out of the questions um, but they never stand alone those questions always lead to other questions and and good geography is about joining the dots joining the dots to help make up that big picture um, and those connections can be found everywhere in your mouse mat in the window pane, um, through the wires that you can see from your window like I can. Is that, are those telephone wires? Is that electricity? Is that gas? What's actually happening there? So it's all that kind of stuff about connections and finding um, the human in the physical, really. That's, that's, that's what we're really trying to find. Perhaps we'll come back to this in a bit, but um, I'm starting to think about, okay, for anybody listening who's not a geography teacher, how does this fit in? And I think there's a lot there, actually, that even when you start at the very, with the questions, there's a lot, you know, you could be teaching another subject, but you need to look at the context of what you're talking about, or it could be in English that you're talking about a particular place and you want to look at that further and make sure your students understand that or uh, from a language background myself thinking there's a lot of cultural knowledge we want our students to learn actually say oh well this is the place let's make sure we understand that place before we carry on talking about what the people there are like so I think there's a there's a lot here that links in with with other subjects would you agree? Completely I completely agree and certainly primary geographers are very good because we teach children all day at linking to other subjects. And I know we've got this world where we are being encouraged to teach in perhaps subject silos and to make sure that they know they're doing geography. And I haven't got a problem with that. But but 
we do know that there's so many crossovers between history and geography, geography and writing about the world. The whole word geography, geography, means writing the world, telling stories about the world. So there's obviously connections there, massive connections to mathematics, lots of connections to PE, actually, the embodiment of being there in the world, being comfortable in the mud, in the wet, being stood up to learn. I mean, even that, because so much of the learning we do is sat down learning. All that is something that we need to bear in mind. So, so, so it is about that kind of that that stepping back, that human being in the world that geography tries to push forwards, that we're trying to articulate for me as student teachers, but also to try and forge those links with other subjects as well. Another project that I've been involved with recently is the Humanities 2020 project. We've got a website, we've got a manifesto, we've done our own podcast, we've got about 10 of them now, of just educators talking from their perspective, how they've been primary teachers, um, how they've moved on into deputy headship, headship, and sometimes working in ITT or ITE. And they've started to notice that there are these cross-cutting themes between citizenship and geography, citizenship and RE and history. Um, So it's really important to me that we don't just label um, things, certainly in geography, as just human or physical, because it does come across like that in our curriculum. Um, but, But there's so much connection between all these things. So we've talked a little bit about how they're connected. How would you say that geography stands out? There must be a reason for you why you've ended up where you have doing geography the way you have why why yeah why (laughs) well i think it is that curiosity that um i mean i mean i i love geography at school i love geography at a level didn't take it as a degree but then did start to develop a real depth of understanding and expertise and passion for it when i was a subject leader in school and that obviously then led me on to the role that i'm playing now in university teaching geography to teachers in early years and primary but it's it's that idea of sparking a need to know that's really what the inquiry process is is like um it, it's speculation it's hypothesizing it's 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 a very imaginative process why has that tree been planted there why has the mayor of london decided that we need more street trees what is the thinking behind that how does that tie in with other policies that are being put out there ULES and other kind of more contentious things are there any connections between those policies what what is the policy of the council on bins and bin days and which bins all those sorts of things which seem very kind of talking down the pub, everyday conversations, they all have a connection to money being spent, to people having power and exercising that power in a particular way. Um, So there's a real democratic edge to this, really, that um, I've always been very keen to get children engaged in from a very, very early age doing things like mock um, mock general elections and things like that, getting them to say, right, well, if you had like five things, your five missions, as politicians have today, what would your five missions all be about? Um, naturally, they wouldn't be about the NHS for children, but 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 you have a chance to stand up and get people to vote for you. What would your missions be? Um, so I want them to kind of think and be curious and to speculate and then to really then find some evidence for why those things could be possible, could be important. Um, and then to listen to others. I think that's part of the key. <laughs> Teachers are not always very good at, at that, and you'll probably struggle to get a word in edgeways at times. But but it is that thing of, okay, well, I have this view, I have this perspective, but but what are other people's views? What would somebody who was, wasn't as capable, as able, as old, um, 
as as knowledgeable as me think and how do I start to understand that point of view and learn something from that even if I strongly disagree with it so there there was a couple of things I've picked up on there I'm just going to go back a bit to one thing was actually I think it's useful for people to know that your kind of path to where you got to there when you said about doing geography to a certain point but actually not continuing it you said not continuing at a degree level, didn't you? And you picked it up again as a subject leader. I think that's important for people to know because there must be, you know, my my background is in secondary, but I'm a primary governor now, so I'm starting to get my head around the way things are in primary. But there must be so many people that get thrown into subject leadership of things that they've not done before or not done since A-level, like you said, um, to know that, you know, that's the direction you've then taken your specialism in uh, in fact, I spoke to someone who who's become a primary math specialist, and that wasn't her thing at all until she just got thrust into it, and now that's what she's doing, you know, full time for a trust. So I think it's it's really important and somewhat you know inspirational for people to hear. You don't have to have done that the whole time to end up where you're at. No, and some of the research that Professor Simon Catling has done about the formative experiences of primary geography educators has shown that actually sometimes we do have to put our hand up and say I haven't actually got a degree in this or I haven't even got an A-level some people have said or a degree in it uh, but actually they've then gone on gone on and been some of the best researchers some of the best writers in the subject so um, I, th- I think it is a message for everybody and again I work with student teachers so I try and get them to think about this your first job is important because that's the one that will really form who you are as a teacher but it's not the only job you'll ever get there are other jobs after that there are other roles within that school when people move on that you'll get um, that will help you grow and develop so I've always tended to be a yes person I've always said yes so I have been subject lead for science I've been subject lead for computing um, I've, I've worked in all sorts of different year groups I took a part-time role when I first took this on and did supply work that was insightful so I ran the nursery for a day that's one of my kind of stories that I tell so so I, I think you need to build up those aspects of who you are as a as a teacher to then lead you to this position of where you might get to but equally I know some great teachers who have been teaching 30 years in that classroom and they've built up such a lot of expertise um and and we should treasure those and i don't think we have an education system that necessarily does does do that no absolutely i agree so the other thing i wrote down as you were talking with the sparking a need to know i really liked that but how does that manifest itself for you in the in the classroom so if there's people listening today thinking i've heard lots of stuff about asking lots of questions and loads of questions that i could ask but how am i going to put that together what what can i do in my geography lesson next week or, or whatever? I think it is starting sometimes with an artefact and that artefact could be a map or it could be a specific um, thing that you've brought from your travels or maybe it could be a human being. You bring in a guest. Um, I just love that idea of how children respond to the guest speaker and they ask the most gorgeous questions and they listen so attentively for an hour and more sometimes and they never listen to me like that because they've got this human being who embodies what it's like to be a Ghanaian who now lives in Britain or somebody from their community who's a school governor who's fought to make sure that the raised beds are put in the school grounds and has a real passion for gardening or somebody who works for London Transport and comes in and tells them what it's like to be a tube driver or the the fire person or the police constable 
police community support officer. I mean, it's all those sorts of bringing in expertise um, that can really help enrich what you do. Um, and, and there's nothing like having a guided walk, a guided field visit with somebody. I've been out in the past where we've been in the locality and we've had somebody there who used to work in the mills, who used to work there when they remembered when this wasn't a desirable place to live, when they remembered when this wasn't like it was today. Um, So geography is very much about time. It's about the past. It's about how it is today and having that brought to life by somebody who's seen it, but also to then cast into the future to think, okay, well, um, what is the story of this place for the next century? Will it survive? Can it thrive? Um, and to get children again to, to hypothesize and to think and to, and, 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 and to wonder really, because that's, that's really our, our job. And of course, one of the things that Ofsted has been very keen in its research review and its subject report recently is to think, okay, all of this is great, all this substantive knowledge that we're trying to develop, all this um, pedagogical content knowledge that we're trying to develop. But what are the artifacts? What are the products that the pupils are then going to produce? And I'm, and I'm quite taken with some of what they've been saying, the fact that we should be getting them to represent that in lots of different ways, not just writing at length. It's not always about writing writing the paragraph. It can be, provided they're not proxies for learning, represented in different ways, particularly in the primary classroom. So I'm I'm a big fan of of kind of poems that represent place, how they can evoke place. So fewer words, but really well chosen vocabulary words to express a sense of place and dimension. And certainly in the most recent um, Ofsted report, they they said that teachers are not very clear about what place knowledge actually is. They get the locational knowledge, the pin in the map, the latitude and longitude, ordnance survey, good references and things like that. But it's actually that that deeper, that more subjective sense of what a location is like and that place knowledge that we need to work on with with teachers, but also with children um, as well. Because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in where you are. We didn't have this conversation bef- before we started, but... Um, where are you and what's your place like? You, you can te- teach me some geography live. Tell me. So I am in Essex. I am not in the first image that comes up in most people's heads in Essex. I'm in a village that's on the end of a rural branch train line. So if I want to get in and out of the London, I have to change trains multiple times to get there. Uh, I live opposite some fields. So uh, my cats, when they were allowed to, used to love exploring it out there. So... Uh, but I'm in new build houses in a village that used to be much smaller. Um, yeah. Well, you're, See, you're, I think I feel like I failed that already. I haven't said much, have <laughs> no, I? No, 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 no. And that's, <laughs> that's what a geography teacher needs to do. It needs to take that and then say, well done. <laughs> well done. Great start. You've painted a picture through all sorts of words. And I'd just, just like you've picked me up on certain words that I've said, I'd want to pick you up on certain words there because I'd, I'd be interested in the kind of branch line and um why it ends there and whether it used to continue and uh, what the name of the station is um and and, and I, I mean i'm in london so the public transport situation is completely different to kent and to essex and to hertfordshire and the places around london so why is that the case why did the these lines just stop um did we decide right we're going to become car focused or we're going to strand these people they're going to have to rely on the bus um or maybe these people just need to stay where they are they don't ever need to travel anywhere <laughs> yeah, it's so, interesting isn't it you think wider because then you've now got me thinking oh 
where I used to live, which is 20 minutes down the road, it used to have a train station. The train track is now a nature reserve. There's no station there. And just with that, you've got me thinking about it, let alone the kids. <laughs> and, and, and whenever I go into school and do CPD with teachers, I did one on Wednesday and we just looked out the window and this was quite a flat area Wimbledon and there was not much going on but actually when you keep on looking and you start to think about color and shape and materials and textures and the journey of all those different materials to get there and how old they are and what's the tallest tree and what's the youngest tree and who's responsible for that landscape when you actually start to deconstruct the most boring school site and what you can see from your window then you can start to make a much more imaginative leap and say, well, there's actually a lot more richness in some of these other places that we study as well that we may see that we don't see that story. Um, so, so it's that kind of, yeah, it is that imaginative leap that we're trying to do all the time, trying to conjure up the life out of a, out of a static image, a photograph that we've got in a photo pack downloaded offline, or we've got this map that we just can't seem to make a sense of. And it's often that dialogue that like we're having now, that interplay of people say, oh, I see this, oh, I see this, or my perspective is this. That's where the questions flow. And that's where the inquiry comes. So uh, one of the kind of critiques that I've got of some of the kind of teacher-focused, teacher-led, teacher directed instruction that we have now doesn't give enough space for this inquiry process. And again, I'm really pleased. Um, I'm not going to articulate too much about Ofsted here, but but Ofsted have started to say that carrying out inquiries is a really powerful pedagogy for geography, backed up by research and thinking from the Geographical Association and others over many many years and it is a it is an approach to the world it's an approach to the data that we find it's a questioning approach um where we look at data we look at sources and just like we would in history just like we would look like we would in other subjects we kind of sift through all this and come to a judgment and then that that end product is our kind of summation our poster our list our poem our paragraph our report and uh, whatever it is our PowerPoint presentation is a, is a, is a kind of summation of those uh, views and perspectives. Well, thank you, Anthony. What I think this conversation has has really done is for well, anyone who's listening, like me, who is I hesitate to say it because I'm calling other people ignorant, but other people like a little bit ignorant of what the 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 study of geography is at a school level beyond that's that country and that's that location, latitude, longitude, like you were saying earlier. It's widened it there and started to make those links more for for people, again, like me, who might not have considered how geography actually fits into an awful lot of, of what we do in school. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about, anything we haven't covered before we move on to the final CPD library round? I think I'd just like to encourage teachers to reach out because, like I mentioned, the danger of being in primary geography and the primary geography world is that you teach your units you download them you have them on your system and you don't ever kind of take that critical standpoint to what you're teaching your case studies that you've actually selected your case studies that you've been told to do there's a lot of freedom in the national curriculum there there really is there's kind of three pages of substantive content and there's some hints and nods to what the pedagogical approaches should be but through the Ofsted research review through the videos that have been produced over the last few years through the advocacy for field work and the importance there and the different schools that have been looked at that are judged to be outstanding there's an awful lot that you could do to really enrich what you do and and yes embody 
the inquiry process, but also just 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 perhaps change some things. Uh, really try and think about how you can build on the excellent practice that is said to happen in the early years and get children out there surveying the school site, going to places they've not been to, the perimeter of the school site, the local park, and going back on a repeated basis, not just going the once um, and surveying it and then coming back, but going back again, different time of the day, going to do some surveys of people, going to take photographs themselves, Give them the power. Don't take the photographs yourself. Give them the iPads. Give them the cameras. Get them taking them from one meter high, not from one and a half meters high or two meters high, however tall you are. I think it is giving them that license to think themselves, to do field sketching, to to to, to really get embedded in their community. Because we forget sometimes we travel into school half an hour, an hour, public transport. They live in that locality. They live in the flat that overlooks the school. They have a garden that backs onto somebody else's garden and has a problem with um, uh, kind of boundary problems and foxes and squirrels and um, binday and all that kind of they, – they, they know all that stuff. And we sometimes, even with the very youngest geographers, need to tap into that and try and, try and develop that um, understanding of where they're coming from um, from the very earliest ages. Yeah, and making them realise that that knowledge they have about their area is geographical knowledge and there's stuff that they can can do with that. Because the more things you said there were making me think, yeah, that's knowledge we just have about our local area, but we don't necessarily dig into it and think about it. And there are critics of that. There are critics, I certainly know, at Key Stage 3 and 4 and 5 that say we need to move them beyond that. And, 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 and we do, and good geography does that. Because if you think about what happens in the early years, we study the local area, but we also study hot and cold places. So we also study the Antarctic and the Sahara, hot and cold deserts. So it's not as if we ever say it's just kind of wallowing in near. Um, We need to do near and far. And then as we get towards the end of Key Stage 2, we also need to think about the kind of borough and the region and then the four nations and really understanding what those four nations are. So it's this constant discussion about who we are and how we fit into the world that needs to keep on reflecting back though on who we are and the perspective that we are from um so it's a very very human focused process well i think this we could definitely carry on this conversation but we need to wrap up so we can do the cpd library round so before we move on to that if anybody is interested in connecting with you to continue these conversations or finding what you've been talking about those kind of things where can they do that how can they do that yeah, so follow me on at Total Geography. Um, I also run the at EYPPC underscore GA um, Twitter handle and the at Humanities 2020 Twitter handle. The at EYPPC one is the Early Years and Primary Phase Committee, and we run a series of CPD sessions through the year free. Um, they're recorded on YouTube as well as being live, and they're called Jog Live, and we run those sessions um, six times a year on various matters like subject leadership, speaking to Ofsted, distant places, field work, uh, teaching the UK, all the sorts of themes that you do in primary geography. And you can find those freely available on on YouTube. But feel free to drop me a direct message. Happy to talk geography with anybody at any time. Fantastic. Plenty for people to dig into there, I think. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. Find the link in the show notes for this episode. 
So the CPD library round, um, this might take a geographical slant. It might not. It's totally up to you where you want to go with it. Uh, I originally started with it just being books, but now it's become a bit more books, podcasts, a person, just something that relates to that category as far as you're concerned. Is that all right? Fine. Thank you. So the first one is first got you into evidence-informed practice. I think it is work through the Geographical Association. So I've probably covered most of that. It's the fact that there are these subject associations. So um, join them. Yep. Uh, resonated with you the most? Well, I read over the summer um, George Orwell's Road to Wigan Pier. And I'm from Bolton, so Wigan is quite close in Greater Manchester. Um, and I was really taken because it was written almost 100 years ago with this Eton-educated London journalist going to North and representing what to North was like um, and the kind of sneering attitude. So we talk and hear a lot, don't we, about levelling up, what the North is like, and I'm now living in the South. And I'm just really interested in that whole area of how people, even people in our own country, are represented. So, yeah, that, that, that really spoke to me, that kind of historical perspective of somewhere that I wasn't born to experience, but um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of walk lightly when I go and visit other places and judge them after a snapshot view, because I think George Orwell did judge those very poverty-stricken people and had a lot of empathy for them. I don't discount that. But still, he was quite sneering about how these people could ever live in the fetid conditions that they actually had. But, well, that's the society that they lived in. And sadly, 100 years on, um, in some ways, there are things that haven't changed. So that kind of worries me. No, that's oh, there's a whole other conversation there, isn't there? Just, <laughs> that's got me thinking, and I'm not going to go there because we could go off on a completely different tangent. Yep. Um, challenge your views. I think the focus on Rosenshine and the principles there and how that's really gathered uh, traction over the last few years has, has certainly challenged the way that I have thought about teaching. And I mentioned earlier on about instruction and direct instruction. I often put those in capital letters because there is this kind of empathic dialogic process that I think is in there, in Rosenshine, that doesn't sometimes come out. And I think that iterative interactive process between the learners that you've got on the context that you're in I think needs to be remembered when we're looking at that and I think Margaret Roberts has written about Rosenstein in her latest book that I'll mention later and she says what many of us would say that as a practicing teacher as somebody who's got experience a lot of Rosenstein is great common sense and does seem like stuff we would do anyway but but there is stuff there like I say that has echoes of Vygotsky and Bruner and Mercer and Barnes, all the people that I read at university and we certainly still use in many ways in university as well. So I think it's the kind of coming together of the best and the greatest thinkers of education and things like Rosenshine, which, which seem to produce a very seductive list that we could follow and we could be graded on um, that I don't think happens in many places. But I think I think we just need to be careful with any of these lists, any of these kind of silver bullets that seem to be suggested to us that, that maybe at times SLT can just um, wield at us and we just need to be um, critical ourselves, gently critical and, and have a chance to discuss and debate them. How does it work um, in different subject disciplines? Because it will be different and certainly the idea of inquiry is, is, is slightly counter to some of those suggestions in that. Absolutely. Um, have the biggest impact on practice? I've mentioned the effective domain already, and I think Julia Tanner has written on the effective domain really well in the primary geography 
journal and elsewhere. But but I think particularly it's the work on personal geographies and everyday geographies that is embedded really in what I've said uh, today, which has been done by Simon Catling and um, Dr. Fran Martin. Um, it, it, it's this orientation of ourselves as human beings to each other and to the world that I think we need to do with young children. There's so much that's abstract, a river, even a bus journey, even an escalator is abstract to so many young children, even in London. They don't go to these places. They don't know what they're like. And they get so excited when they finally get to go on an escalator. They want to go up and down. They don't actually want to get to the museum that you want to get them to. So we, we need to actually get that across to children and work with that and lean into that and have that dialogue with them about that. Um, so yeah, everyday geographies and personal geographies. And 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 the idea of ethnogeographies is the kind of academic um, rendering of that, which I encourage people to seek out. So this next one, given what you do now, I guess you already have a fully formed idea of, of, of this, but should be required reading for an early career or trainee teacher? Like many people, I've written a book um, <laughs> and it's called Mastering Primary Geography with a colleague called Sarah Whitehouse from the University of the West of England. So I do think that three-year journey of putting my ideas at that point together was quite formative for me and has helped me actually so if you get a chance to write a book write a book three weekends three years of weekends um but i think there's a companion book to that by bloomsbury which is a great one for starting teachers which is full of substantive knowledge and really hints through the lesson plans in there and the ideas a lot of the disciplinary knowledge there as well by stephen scoffham and paul owens and that's called um geography bloomsbury curriculum basics so i strongly recommend that great and we've got about a few more left inspired you is the next one i think poetry music and um even last night i was at some music uh some grand place in london as you do sometimes and i was taken again by musicians who have been inspired by poetry that's about the natural world um and I just think we need to take that inspiration from um, the tree, the river, the buildings, the roads, uh, take take that inspiration from wherever we can find it, from the great writers um, of the moment and of the past, but also to try and put it into words ourselves because that, that focus on vocabulary, on great words to describe stuff is is really, really important. So if you've never listened to uh, Benjamin Britten's Four C Interludes, there's <laughs> a bit of a cultural reference point. I've got really, really into those recently. Really wonderful, evocative, um, coastal-sounding music, swishing and swashing about. So stick that in your earbuds and go for a walk and you'll be transported. Three left. So the next one is most recent. I think it's any work by Danny Dawling. He's very much in the media at the moment because he's been writing seems to write at least a book a year so his most recent book um, that i've looked at is um, so you think you know about britain um the surprising truth about modern britain and if you ever get a chance to listen to him or um, hear a podcast about um, what he's got to say because he pops up quite a lot he works at the university of oxford he's got lots and lots from the academic discipline perspective from looking at data from looking at graphics which just has a very insightful view of what the world is actually like and that reminds me again of somebody who died a number of years ago who's inspired me and many people over the years um, Hans Rosling and the Gapminder project 
There's BBC iPlayer documentaries by him. Uh, but the Gapminder Project in particular, and there's a site called Dollar Street, which is loosely associated and linked to that, which if you've never come across, Google Dollar Street. And again, you'll never see the world in the same way again, where you can look into how people live on $2 a day and what their living conditions are like. And it's not a kind of peering and looking at pity, um, but, it, but it could be just really insightful, again, to see that graphical image of um, just people in their homes and seeing them smiling and just, just seeing what they have, what they don't have, um, people who have more than you, people who have less, less, less than you. So, yeah, strongly recommend those resources. And then the the next one is because everybody I speak to seems to have a massive to be read pile. So what's next on the to be read pile? It's enormous. Uh, but I mentioned <laughs> Margaret Roberts already, and Margaret Roberts Roberts is the doyenne of um, the geography world, and she's written a new edition of her geography through inquiry book which is called Approaches to Teaching and Learning in the Secondary School. So it does say secondary school, but there's tons in there to talk about what it is to embody and live this process of inquiry in the classroom. It's appropriate for people around the world because it's written with a kind of international focus, but it's in its second edition. So that's currently sitting there having flicked through it. I need to really grapple with that and think how I can include that as um, great research-focused thinking into, into my practice. Great. And the final one, people take this in slightly different directions, but it doesn't exist, but should. So it could be that you are interested in a particular area and you can't find a book on it, or you would find something really useful maybe when you were early in your career and there's lots of bits and pieces around, but no one's brought it all together. So however you want to take it, doesn't exist, but should. I would say it's the book for primary teachers on inquiry. So I'm going to use that E word again, because I mentioned that it seems to be advocated now by Ofsted. It doesn't come through very strongly necessarily, unless you read between the lines in the national curriculum. So I do think there's a growing emphasis now of where we can move forward really positively in early years in primary geography, teaching through inquiry. And I think I think the great book on teaching inquiry to three to 11-year-olds hasn't yet been put together. So it could be that um, somebody out there um, could be could be writing that as we speak. That's great. Well, thank you, Anthony. It's been another one of those times where I've come into a conversation going, I don't know where this is going to go. It's so out of my comfort zone because it's a subject to know nothing about. And every time the guest that I've had that thought about has completely proven me wrong and reminded me why I speak to all sorts of different people because 40 minutes later uh, and we've continued talking the whole time and it's given all sorts of different things to think about and I'm sure it has for people listening too. Thank you so much. It's been really good to join you. I've learned a little bit about Essex today, but Essex <laughs> is still quite unknown to me. So I'm sure we could have another whole podcast on um, teaching about Essex. Yeah. <laughs> the only way is Essex? Not... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure I'll have quite the same uh, fan base as that one, but yeah, you never know. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Are you interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Or to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. I hope you found that conversation interesting, no matter your background. 
I'm really getting a lot from talking to people from very different subject backgrounds and educational contexts, and I hope you are too. Please do encourage friends and colleagues to sign up for a chat with me. Currently, I'll run out of episodes in just about two more weeks' time. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>